Are you living or coming from a multicultural or cross-cultural journey in this life? Have you lived abroad for an extended amount of time? Have you married into another culture or are a product of a bicultural relationship? Hello, I'm Mike Sullivan, and this is my TCK podcast, where we answer ridiculous questions like, where are you from? This podcast stuff is hard to keep up with, uh, but thanks so much for those of you who have supported it and listened in over the last several months. It's certainly not going away anytime soon. Uh, it's been such a surprise in a sense. Not as much in the number of listeners. That has been pleasant in, in some ways. But just the response in the people who have had a desire to be on the podcast. And so I can only encourage those of you who are listening that, boy, it, it really it gets good. You know, and it, it's just going to get better. I won't blather on about that. We have some stuff to talk about. A couple of updates. My book is on schedule to pre-launch in April. Don't hesitate to sign up on my website to get reminders and access to the early board rewards. Of course, it's in the show notes. Based on the success of that campaign, we will know then the final publication timeline, but I'm really hoping to get it done before I leave Turkey in July. Those of you who support that, thanks in advance. I will be providing a special bonus set of podcast episodes called the Building Bridges Special Edition Podcast. Those are available for listeners on this podcast, but it might be paid content. But it is free for those people who do invest and support my book during the campaign. So be sure in April to jump on my Kickstarter page and get the book. If you're unaware of the book, the title of my book is Building Bridges, Can We Love and Relate in a Polarized World? It's a memoir of the number of wonderful people I've met around the world that have changed my life. My last semester here in Turkey just kicked off this last week, so the farewell tour has begun. I will be very, very busy, but not too busy to answer any feedback I get from you. Feel free to reach out, as always. Links are always in the show notes. Today, my guest, Dr. Jacob Daniel Huff, a unicorn in some manner, graces the podcast with his life as a TCK, raising a TCK in a cross-cultural marriage and a career international school principal. He shares with us the research he has done on TCKs in his dissertation around identity formation. We have a special announcement to make in the beginning of the bonus episode, and I am extremely grateful for his contribution in that way. So stay tuned for that. Let's get started. Is this your dissertation for your doctoral or is this your, is this a master's dissertation? That was my doctoral dissertation. Oh, okay. So this whole doctor 
<laughs> okay, is is absolutely correct. Okay, yes, I think yes. you would have corrected me before. Anyway, all right. Yeah. Okay, so that that is correct. I, Suddenly, I, I only go by Doctor Jacob Daniel Huff in publication, though. Um, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of a funny. Yeah, so it does, would be. I mean, Doctor Ruth Van Rieken, she doesn't go by Doctor either. Um, Doctor well, Rachel Kaysen, she didn't do it. She didn't professionally. Either. I do go by Doctor Huff. Um, oh, okay. I, my my joke is, you know, with you know, because I'm in I'm in um, primary education, and so my joke is with students and with parents, I'm Doctor Huff. With colleagues, yep. I'm Jacob. Yes. Yeah, that is a distinction that I haven't been around in years. And I'm kind of jealous a little bit. I have a, one student of 71 students I have. He calls me Mr. Sullivan. <laughs> and I'm kind of laughing because I'm like, yeah, I haven't really been in a culture where that fit. Does that make sense? Like I haven't been in. You don't I've, go, you're, I've been you're in a culture that. Yeah, see, in the education culture, I it, it's you know uh, always been mis, was always Mister Huff before it was right. Doctor. So so, so now yeah. I mean in in Turkey it's Mike Hojam, Mike Hojam this, Mike teacher this. In mm-hmm. Korea, since it's the same thing, it's Mike teacher mm-hmm. this. And then I have students, I told them, don't call me Mr. Mike, because, you know, it doesn't sound, And but they don't care. They call me Mr. Mike anyway. So I get called you know, Mr. I, Mike I or Mike Coach. schools that went, did, like, the the Mr. Jacob thing, which was yeah. odd. But <laughs> but it's just the same thing. But, yeah, you know, when you're talking about Asian culture and they say that, they say teacher, because it's an honor thing in mm-hmm. there, because educator is an honor thing in there, it's, it is... The same or better than Mr. Um, oh, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, absolutely. 100%. And, I mean, nobody in Korea is called Mr. Kim or Mr. Lee, you know? I mean, that's ridiculous for them. I mean, it's their, it's, it comes first in their name. So, and it, it doesn't, it's, uh, what is it in Vietnam? Do they, do they, how do they say their names? Is there, their family name come first officially uh, or how was it written? That's a good question. Um, they... Probably mostly in Asian culture. It is. Um, but Vietnam's very, very big on having the different forms of address and you, mm-hmm. and then you do it with their first name. So, uh, got it. Okay. So which is, yeah. But, uh, but typically, a lot of times they're not saying the name at all, though. They're just saying the the honorific. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. That's the same as the Philippines as well. We just yeah. run around calling them engineer, engineer, yeah. attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle. <laughs> yep. In, in Malaysia, yep. they say boss a lot, and it feels really icky. Oh, that's awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> the way they say it just reminds me of old movies where South African, black South Africans had to call uh, call the white guys boss. Boss. You know? <laughs> or, uh, or, or the movies where you see, you know, slavery times and the black uh, slaves had to uh, say boss. Um, sir. It just 
Oh, right. I hated it when I first moved there. I was like, oh, don't yeah. go call me that. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't realize, you know, I... It's kind of a segue a little bit. Yep. You know, when I, growing up under a rock a little bit as a TCK in Thailand and then coming back to the United States, I was I was not aware, for instance, that we had... You know, the Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima, things like that. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, these things were were references or or, or whatever to mm. a wider push to distinguish people as different or distinctly different yeah. in, in some kind of so they they took that on as, as being discriminatory and <laughs> and so yeah. But in in Singapore, you know, just just change your context suddenly, and then every taxi driver you you talk to is uncle, yeah, and auntie, auntie. yeah. <laughs> so it's just, yep, Malaysia it's was a, a very interesting, and and another thing is, I guess the wider world, you just start to see that, yeah, references like that are the norm, so. Mm-hmm. For instance, somebody in Nigeria moving to Korea has an easier time adjusting to Korean culture than I do, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, someone from my background, basically. Well, I mean, somebody... every, every culture has different ways that they, um, different formality levels, yeah. and they have different forms of address, and mm-hmm. sometimes those align, and sometimes they don't align at all, and sometimes they right. align in ways that don't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's like right. Like thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I would have a little bit of trouble with that. Um, I I would have trouble not smirking every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. I just wanted to welcome you to my TCK podcast, um, Jacob. Thank you for coming on. Um, it is. Sure. You are indeed actually the first white man I've had on my TCK podcast. <laughs> Congratulations. I find it kind of interesting that most of my guests have all been either women or a lot of women. There is a lot of women in this field studying TCKs. So lately, when dealing with a lot of professionals who have done research or in the industry, or are coaches. They they are typically women. So I've certainly had a lot of women. And then, of course, I've had a few men, but they were TCKs, and they were not, they were, you know, so. Thank you. You're a unicorn. Well, it's, it's nice to be here. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, because, uh, you know, one of the things I think we'll probably get into is that, um, ironically in the TCK world, there's, um, it, we're, we're a diverse, but then there's also some underlying racism that, that does come up. So, uh, it's, it's great to have uh, a podcast that's really seeking to have that representation. Well, let's get into this. Um, of course, first, I would like to ask you the ridiculous question. Jacob, where are you from? Well, hey, 
You know, that question is, yeah, you know, I, I sometimes call it the dreaded question. Of course. But I also think it's the most anticipated question. Um, <laughs> sure, we, we sometimes get sick of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, when we know we're talking about talking to someone who will care, mm-hmm. um, then it, it's, it's a topic that we really, really get into. Um, I like to say I'm a child of two worlds. Uh, so my my parents are both from the Midwest. Uh, we I grew up in Missouri, Mississippi, and Arkansas. By the time I was in elementary school, mm-hmm. um, we had a, we had a farm in southern Arkansas. And when I was 16, we moved overseas. So I went from a farm in Arkansas to uh, Hanoi, Vietnam, in 1998. The, to, to say that there was a little difference would be, um, you know, drastically understating. Yeah, um, I think so. so. I think so. And, and so I, and, you know, clearly, you know, it, at this time, you know, TCK studies and work had been, um, uh, had been around for decades, but it really, you know, wasn't probably until Michael Pollack's, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, David Pollack's uh, work, was coming out uh, in, in the, the late 90s. Um, of course, you know, Third Culture Kids growing up across worlds was, I think the first publication was 99. So mm-hmm. we were, you know, very early days there. I never heard the term TCK. Um, mm-hmm. But I moved to a town. So I moved to Da Nang, Vietnam when I was 16. And uh, I was one of only two foreign teenagers in the entire city. Um, so it was uh, myself and... And Josh Hilton, he was an Aussie guy, still is, obviously. And um, he, uh, him and I had a lot of fun and made lots of Vietnamese friends and he had cross-cultural friends and all of that. And then we moved to Hanoi um, and I went to international school there. So I was in uh, Hanoi International School in the early days. It was mm-hmm. uh, the their current building. That was their first year. We spent the first semester with no air conditioning uh, because oh. the parts didn't come in yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, late summer in Vietnam with no air conditioning, not, not a lot of fun. No. Um, but you know, back then, you know, being a international student in an international school with friends from all over the world, uh, none of us knew the term TCK yet, but we kind of recognized that there was something about us. So we actually called ourselves the internationals. Um, and I'm still in contact with a lot of those folks. Uh, yeah, we've we've gone all over the world and done all kinds of of things. Um, you know, one one of my friends that I see every time I go to Korea uh, is a, is the dentist to the stars in Seoul now. So you know, yeah. And um, interesting. So, uh, you know, where am I from? Well, I am from from many worlds, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a farm boy and then I was a city boy and we've, uh, I think, you know, moving back overseas as a young adult, uh, is really what solidified me as an international person. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my wife is from South Korea. Um, our daughter is a dual citizen. Um, so we're, we're internationals through and through. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, what I always want to answer to people when they ask me where I'm from is I want to say Hanoi. Um, partially that's because I feel it and partially it's because I'm facetious and I want to see what their expressions say. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> sure. 
When people ask that question, there's a lot of different things that they can mean. They can mean sure. where were yep. you born? Where did you spend the most time? Where do you live now? Mm-hmm. Where do you identify the most with of places yes. that you've, what was the place that was more, the most formative for you? Right. And um, they, they might mean any of those and they typically don't even know which one they're asking, you know, for, for TCKs is um, we typically have a different answer for every one of those. Yes. Um, and we all, and most of those answers will get, a blank expression from people because it's just so outside of the box of their understanding. Mm-hmm. You returned to Vietnam as an adult. You just mentioned. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I finished high school in Hanoi and went back to the States, went to school. Um, and then some years later, uh, in my early twenties, um, my, I get the opportunity to, to go and do a humanitarian aid project in, in Da Nang, Vietnam, central mm-hmm. Vietnam. And so it was a skill training facility for the deaf. So it was a restaurant, bakery, coffee shop. Um, and so we, we trained uh, deaf students uh, how to read and write in Vietnamese. If they didn't already, hadn't already had the chance to do that, uh, same for sign language, and then taught them uh, a skill in the restaurant industry. Um, probably the most powerful thing about that was the fact that all of our trainers, after we got started, all of our trainers were deaf. Um, and, you know, in, in countries like Vietnam, oftentimes people with disabilities are seen as um, a shame. Um, mm-hmm. And so they'd often been told their whole lives explicitly or implicitly that they were that they were useless. And many of them had never met another deaf person. And so then they walk into this vibrant community where not only are they learning something that would be valuable for the future, but they're. Uh, part of a, of a deaf community and being taught by other deaf people. Mm. Um, and so it was really powerful. And I started teaching ESL on the side during that time. Um, and uh, my last year there, um, I was kind of wrapping down what I was doing. And the inter- the, the principal of the first ever international school in, um, in Da Nang, Vietnam, um, she, I'd known her for a couple of years uh, and she was, they were doing that kind of standard way of opening schools. If you open one grade at a time as you mm-hmm. grow. And so they were only supposed to have through second grade that year. And all of a sudden they had a bunch of kids that were older than that. Um, and so she asked me to come step in and fill in until she could find someone. And then after a little while, she asked me to stay for the rest of the year. And that really coincided well with kind of wrapping up what I was doing uh, with uh, the bird of life. And so did that, fell in love with, with teaching. And my wife and I got married that year and we um, moved back to the States to get degrees in education and then moved to China after that. Um, then back to the States and then Malaysia. And so that's kind of been our life ever since. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that was the kind of the brief story of going back to Vietnam. And like I said, when I moved back that time, I think that's really what locked me in as um as a, as an international person. Right. And, mm-hmm. and still at that point in my life, I don't think I had heard the term TCK yet. It wasn't until, um, quite a bit later that mm-hmm. I started hearing that term. Um, and, um, but, uh, but definitely I could become a committed international, um, by the end of that time. Yeah. Yeah. And you say committed 
international. So are you're in Kansas at the moment. Um, <laughs> oh, I used the wrong term, didn't I? Well, no, I, I'm not accusing <laughs> you of anything. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a turn in the United States. My wife really wants to. So um, I, I get it. Well, but I, I mean, just... that, that, is, that is always the thing, right? Life takes you here and yeah. there. I think, you know, yeah. I think, I think internationals, we, we see it way more than others. You know, for most people, mobility means moving to various towns in mm-hmm. the area that you lived at and maybe another state. Um, but for internationals, for TCKs and, and people who became international people in their adult lives, you know, going from country to country uh, becomes the norm. And so you, you can't ever say, okay, well, I'm staying here for the rest of my life. Right. Because uh, that's just not the way life works anymore. I would say I am a person who loves the international world and life. Yes. Who is currently living in Kansas. Sure, sure. Do you guys know what you have planned next or no? Just, oh goodness, no! Goodness, okay. No. Well, I'm glad I'm not. Our, the only our one. daughter is uh, is <laughs> going to be in high school next year, so I th- we're we're kind of hoping to to stay uh, mm. stationary for a little bit because uh, that'll yeah. be best for her. Indeed, those are the things that are really worth considering, and I'm sure um, your research has probably also affirmed some of those suspicions in some ways about stability and being uprooted. For sure. I just listened to Lena Lee on a, another person's podcast. So she was talking about her book, Girl Uprooted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good story. She's, she's Korean as well. Um, so I noticed you dedicated your dissertation to your daughter. I did. Yeah. Is there a particular reason? Because she's my daughter and I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously I'm a TCK raising a a TCK. She's a second generation TCK. She also Mm -hmm. is a bicultural child, a dual citizen child. She has, she has all the labels. Um, and so uh, mm-hmm. it is certainly students like her that I would hope uh, work like that can help. Yeah. Can you tell me really quick what you told me about language with her? <laughs> well, my joke is that she's forgotten more languages than most people will ever know. Um, but my my wife uh, was, was not working whenever she had her. And she didn't start working until she was about a year and a half old. Um, so she was all at home all day with her. So Korean was really her first language. Uh, and then, so when I was home, we'd speak English and, but she would be speaking Korean to her all the rest of the time. Um, and so she, at a, at a year and a half, two years old, she knew Korean the best English well. Um, and then we were in China and my wife got a job offer. And so she started working. And so we got, uh, IE, uh, the Chinese term means um, uh, like auntie. Uh, and so our IE was just absolutely wonderful, just a member of the family. Uh, we still, we're still in contact with her 10 years later. Um, she's, and, and she just treated my daughter just so well. And she would, she would sing with her and read to her. And so she was in Chinese all day. 
basically. And then she started, she went to a Chinese preschool half the day and then the other half with uh, IE. And then we moved uh, just before kindergarten, we moved to Kansas. Um, and we knew that she'd probably lose her Chinese. And at that point, her Chinese was the same level as any other, you know, mm-hmm. five-year-old Chinese child. Um, but, and her English was, was good as well. And then we were in Kansas and they had a Spanish language program. So we put her in a Spanish immersion program for kindergarten and first grade. And so she went from speaking what I like to call her, her Dora level, uh, Spanish yeah. to, to reading at like a third grade level, uh, in, nice. in Spanish at the end of first grade. Um, then we moved to Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, now she's forgotten. She, you know, she her 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 Spanish and her Mandarin are both at the smattering level. Uh, her Korean has never been back to like a, it's never been like an, an adult level. Um, so she mm. speaks smatterings of so many languages. She a couple of years ago she just randomly decided she wanted to teach herself um, German. Mm. Uh, and we're like, why do you why? that why not something else but uh so now now smatterings of german as well so nice nice <laughs> yeah but i, I, I think that, that's not an uncommon uh <laughs> that the whole story it probably rings true to so many tck's and cross-cultural kids of course of course and the research keeps getting richer in terms of what the diversity can do mm-hmm you know, the positive side effects, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your research to TCKs. Um, tell me really quick about Dr. Lajati and uh, what impact she had on your research. So Dr. Lajati, um, I think I first came across her, uh, work when I was just kind of starting my road of thinking that, uh, something in the TCK research realm was where I wanted to go. Um, she had one of her, so probably her earliest work that started to lay out uh, place identity construction theory was um, was an article that she did, uh, Bloom Where You're Planted, ident- uh, Place Identity Construction of Third Culture Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that was maybe 94, I, I mean, 2015. 2015, I think. Um, and, and then later she built more and more across that. Her dissertation was, uh, expanding that and then more work after that. Um, and so I came across that and I, I instantly was drawn to this idea that she came up with, um, for, for how, uh, identity is constructed, that there's phases, uh, for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I actually reached out to her uh, in April of 2019 um, uh, and found her to be just, I, I know, as a, as a early researcher, I reached out to a lot of different um, authors and, uh, and researchers and definitely found like Dr. Ojadi was just the, um, the most accommodating and wonderful person to, to try to work with. And she actually pointed me um, to to Figit uh, Families in Global Transition, yeah. Um, and that, of course, is an organization started by Ruth von Reichen, mm-hmm. um, and then sh- and ended up recommending me to be um, a a David C. Pollock Scholar 
uh, mm-hmm. in their program. And so ended up, I'm the, I, uh, my cohort was the only group that was ever uh, uh, David C. Pollock scholars twice because we were the 2020 and the 2021 uh, scholars <laughs> because oh. the conference got canceled in 2020. Uh. Um, so I, I jokingly say that was a great honor to be to do it twice. Um, Got it. Yeah. But uh, and then of course and then uh, then when I reread, um, you know, Third Culture Kids, you know, you, the two, the most recent uh, edition was 2017, and uh, and it was it was really cool. Uh, I says I already had been, you know, reading. Phil Jotty's work and communicating with her. And then I read the set, I read the third edition. Um, and they, and her work is, is, um, is in there as well. Mm. Um, so I think it's that pretty, I mean, when, once you're in there, then you're pretty well solidified as, as, uh, being important in the, in the field. Um, right. So yeah, that's and she, and she was just, she's always been so gracious. Um, she's invited me to, conferences and roundtables and um done interviews with me and she's just a uh not only a wonderful um researcher uh but also just a kind and giving one as well nice yeah so the main thrust of your research has been around tck identity apparently right Mm -hmm. development in international Mm -hmm. schools is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah so, you know, when you're doing your dissertation, what you're looking for is uh, something that in an area that's been researched, but a um, a niche in it that hasn't been. And uh, and as an international educator, when I was looking, there was a lot of there had been some there had been studies about international schools in general. There had been studies, a lot of studies about TCKs, most of them studying ATCKs to learn uh, things about TCKs, some of them actually working with, uh, with students. Um, but what they didn't really, what there really wasn't a lot of was, uh, digging deep into the understandings that, uh, that teachers that work in international schools have about how Mm -hmm. students, uh, develop their personal identities. And so that's, uh, you know, the title was the international school educator perspective on the third culture kid identity development um, and so I went with a multi-case study um, approach. So it was a qualitative uh, work. And so each school was a bounded case, which allowed me to use the same methodology in more than one school and then really be able to triangulate uh, what I was seeing instead of it just being something that maybe was specific to that school. Um, when you see commonalities uh, mm-hmm. or things that are different, you can really um, find some depth in there. Um, so what we ended up, what I ended up finding was five major themes with 17 sub themes. Um, you know, and, uh, I think all of them important, you know, we had TCK needs looking down at what are the different things that TCKs need in general. Um, of course, one that makes a lot of sense for your podcast, the meaning of home. Um, and, and that one was really interesting because as, as we know, it's it's kind of contradictory, right? The way TCKs think about the meaning of home, right? Mm-hmm. And it's part of it is what people place on them. It's part of it is what they internalize themselves. 
And sometimes there's a, there's a lot of conflict between those two. Um, and sometimes, and a lot of times I feel like uh, TCKs hold those two juxtapositions simultaneously, uh, sort of a cognitive dissidence, if you will. Um, then we have this it's a sense of cultural mastery being a very important part of it. So looking at how does someone um, identify with their place uh, and, and that they're currently in and be, be able to be successful and master the, the cultural context of wherever they find themselves to be. And, uh, and of course, TCKs become, must become uh, masters of that because uh, as you, by the very nature of being a TCK, you're in a, uh, a non-permanent state. So, right. Yeah, it's a matter um, of survival, basically. Mm, yeah. So. And then you've got internet, and then really looking at what the international school community can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think probably the most important thing that we came across uh, was was something that I wasn't even looking for. When I'm looking at research, you know, when researchers are looking into things, there's there's generally the things that they think they're going to find, um, yeah. and then there's the things that are surprising. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was surprising, but what was surprising was I really wasn't I didn't design any of what I was doing to get into the question of inclusion and, re- and representation, but. Yeah. Um, in both of my bounded cases, it came out as a, as a major theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the idea that, you know, international schools um, are a place where you have people from all over the place with different beliefs and different religions and different uh, languages and different cultural backgrounds and, and all these things. Um, but it's it's happening within a particular context. Mm-hmm. So you know, typically, uh, what we're looking at is most likely that international school um, is going to be in a European language, mm-hmm. um, which probably means that uh, it is uh, going to be using uh, curriculum from um, one of the countries like that, and. So the question is, how do does a school handle that? Um, and we really can't ignore the fact that um, international schools often exist within places that have a history of Western colonization. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, definitely, there are there are lots of articles out there that uh, are very. Um, harsh on the idea of international schools because of uh, that, that perceived um, cultural bias. Uh, Mm. And, and I don't know that they're completely wrong. Um, Mm. Right. And I think, and my, my, my take on it after my research and my experiences is that if a school is not intentionally cognizant of that, then they are going to be um, perpetuating that in some way because we do a lot of thing. A lot of things happen in international schools. I mean, it's important for a school to have qualified teachers. It's important Mm -hmm. to have 
a particular, you know, to have a pedagogical approach um, that's consistent, right? And yeah. so you have to have people who who have you know, good training who are going to have a pedagogical approach to their education that aligns uh, with your school's philosophies. They have to be able to academically function in the language of instruction. Those are all prerequisites. Um, then the question is, what does the profile of your staff look like? Mm-hmm. What we end up with is the question of if all of our teaching staff is um, native born Anglo-Saxons. Mm-hmm. Um, what does, what does that say about your school? What does that say to your school? You know, international schools are great about bragging about their cultural diversity. We have, you know, 44 countries represented. represented we have 63 yeah. countries represented. Um, and that's wonderful. Yes, please. Uh, that, you know, a, a school that doesn't have a dominant student culture, um, mm-hmm. is, you know, that's a, that's a healthy thing Mm -hmm. to not have a dominant student culture. Um, but, but what does your dominant, um, culture when it comes to your staffing and, um, or, and, and, and let's be honest, are we in a situation where the lead teachers are all white and the, um, the assistant teachers and the, are all, brown and yeah. the uh cleaners are all browner um yeah. mm. uh, and what does that say to your students does it tell them that they can be leaders um does it make them feel valued mm. um and so these are these are hard questions yeah. um that have to be addressed within schools um, sure and i so i think really when i'm looking at what i you know in my research these are questions that, that really sparked something in me thinking about it, uh, particularly mm. as a Caucasian administrator in education in international schools um, that, you know, uh, is, I think, a thing that we have to come to terms with in, in a positive way um, yeah. in our schools. For my MBA I did a study into the National Football League in the United States and was basically National Football League was really struggling with getting representation in leadership positions. And I was fascinated by their failure (laughs) as an organization. And I was just thinking, how in the world can you you fail to get this? I'm not a big football person, but last year was the first time that two African-American – quarterbacks yeah uh, on the field right uh, and it was just, yeah right and it's just crazy to think of unfortunately because of the systems that are set up generationally especially due to colonization you have parents clamoring for their children to access the anglo-saxon world for instance to gain <laughs> autonomy economic success how much is it the school that's perpetuating it or the systems, but also outside there's this kind of lack of confidence. I mean, I mean, the number of Koreans that just automatically assume that the better their, their students speak English, that, you know, the more money they're going to make. And I said, well, if English was the only factor, then go to the Philippines and tell me how successful the average Filipino is for knowing English. 
you know, right. it's, you know, and I well, say things I, like that that sound outrageous, but there's there's this there's this there is a, a pushback even from parents themselves. And and I think when when we're looking at uh, these kinds of issues, I think mm-hmm. the first thing to say is it's not easy. It's not a simplistic, yeah. you know, and um, and you know, parental pushback is a real thing, right? Yeah. Um, I know I have been, I have done tours of my school uh, and had uh, parents ask what percentage of the nationality of their, of their nationality is in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't hoping that that number was high. They were hoping that number was low. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and they, they will rate the school based on, on those kinds of things. Uh, and so there, there's, it's a definitely a real thing. Um, yes. But that said, it's also a bit of a cop out because lots of administrators will uh, say that they would love to change this and that, but, but our parents won't let us. Um, and the, the answer is that you have to set a culture in your school that, that shows the value that you put on everyone. Um, yeah. you know, there's lots of ways we can do that. We yeah. can internationalize our standards. We can make sure that our book choices uh, in our curriculum are, um, are not just from one perspective, that we have mm-hmm. lots of different perspectives coming in. We can have text representing diverse peoples. We can have inclusive language policies such as translanguaging in our EA, EAL, mm-hmm. um, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for anyone who doesn't know translanguaging, and I am not an EAL, I mean, I'm not an EAL person, so this is going to be way basic, but that would be where students are allowed to use their home language to compose things. And then they're working with their teachers to turn that into, into good English um, Mm -hmm. so that they're able to take that background knowledge and they're able to do research in a language that they understand better. Yeah. So that then they, and then over time they're able to grow into their, into their English, but then it allows them to actually use the knowledge and the skills they already have um, mm-hmm. And it helps them to not feel lesser than their classmates yes. um, just because they're not yet there in their English. Yeah. This has um, been a really you know, wonderful those, push. All of those are, are ways that we can do it within, within the school. Then there's also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what does it, what do parent groups look like? Are you intentionally making sure that your language, that, uh, that all of your language communities and all of your ethnic communities within your school feel comfortable being part of school leadership and things like that um, are, what are your pay structures? I, it is shocking to think, but I have personally seen situations where someone was offered less money for the same job because they were, from a non English speaking country. Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, what does hiring look like? Are you intention? I mean, you have to get good people. They have mm-hmm. to be able to academically function. They, like we said, they have to have the training and that does make it harder sometimes to hire, uh, non Westerns, but there's a lot of great people out there from, mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. And, you need to be making intentional um, decisions 
to try to make sure that you're getting a, a good, diverse um, group of people that are working with your kids. You know, and are any of those things easy? Absolutely not. Um, yeah. But the, the, the thing that is easy is to say, well, I'd love to do those things, but my parents 